Thank you, choir. I think that's our prayer this morning. We want to be hiding in the cross. We want to be hidden in Christ, clothed in Christ. That's our hope. That's our only hope. I mean, ultimately, it's the only thing that can withstand time. And as we open God's Word this morning to consider uh, another one of these seven deadly sins, let us go to Him in prayer. God, we ask for understanding today. We ask for clarity as we read Your Word, as we seek to know Your truth as well as know ourselves and know how Your Gospel, what You've accomplished through Christ, uh, deals with our sin problem and helps us to become the people You want us to be. Lord, speak to us now in Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Several of you are familiar with uh, Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie was a very wealthy man. He made his money in the steel industry. And he had one of the most profitable businesses in the world. And at, age, at the age of 33, okay, 33, he writes himself a note. Because he, he's gaining steam with his business. He's becoming rich. Um, and he writes a note to himself because he's... He sees something, maybe perhaps in others as well as himself, and he writes this note to himself. Listen to what he says. He says, man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more, more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer overwhelmed by business cares and with most of my thoughts wholly upon how to make more money in the shortest time must degrade me beyond the hope of permanent recovery. I will resign business at 35. But during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and in reading systematically. Oh, it's amazing, really. At 33, he, he recognized, one, he recognized greed for what it is, and he began to see how it was starting to affect who he was. And so he says, when I reach the ripe old age of 35... I'm going to retire because I see that if I continue to pursue wealth the way I'm pursuing it, trying to make the most money in the shortest amount of time, it will consume me and overtake me and change me and put me in a place where I may never recover from. 33, he recognizes this about himself. Well, the issue is, 35 you know, came and went and Carnegie continued to pursue wealth. One of his biographers, later on, he, he wrote this about Carnegie. He said, although Carnegie built 2,059 libraries. Okay, so he used his wealth uh, to build several thousand libraries. But a steel worker, one of those workers that Carnegie basically uh, was able to draw his profits from this man's labor and others. A steel worker speaking for many told an interviewer, we didn't want him to build libraries for us. We would rather have had an increase in wage. At that time, this writer says, steel workers worked 12-hour shifts 
And the floors of the mill were so hot that they had to, to nail pieces of wood underneath their shoes to keep them from burning and melting. And what they would do is they would work 12-hour days, and then once every other week they would work a 24-hour shift and then get one day off. And so this steel worker says, I appreciate the fact that you built 2,000 libraries, but we would have rather you helped us make a little more money so that we could make a living. And the housing that these steel workers were able to provide was often crowded, dirty, and most of them didn't live past their 40s because of accidents and disease. You know, greed is a, is a powerful idol. Carnegie was able to identify it and even see how it was working in his own life, but he could not put a stop to it. Greed is a powerful idol. It demands complete allegiance, and it's never satisfied. But it's very hard to see greed in ourselves. You know, one pastor said, he, and this pastor, he's had decades of pastoral experience. He said, you know, over all the decades, of all the people that have come to me seeking counsel, and you can imagine the, the, the variety of issues that were brought to his office. He said, never has someone come and said, you know, pastor, I struggle with greed. Not one time. Now you can say, well, is that because no one struggles with greed? Or is it just hard to see? In yourself, or do you think you can handle it, handle it yourself? And so it's very hard to diagnose it sometimes in ourselves. And so the question is: Are you a greedy person? Can you see greed in your own life? Are you worshiping the idol of money and possessions? And for those of you who have read the New Testament, you know that Jesus often deals with this issue of greed and the issue of money. And possessions. And in one of these instances found in Luke chapter 12, I want to look at what Jesus says about greed. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And Jesus is going to tell us how to avoid greed, but, and this is what he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us that you must see two things. You must be able to see two things, and you must believe one truth. If you're going to avoid greed, if you're going to unshackle greed's power in your life, you're going to need to see two things and believe one truth. So look with me at Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke tells us that someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this was not uncommon in Jesus' day where they would seek out a rabbi to try to mediate a, a issue, an issue like this. A seeking counsel, seeking mediation, this kind of third party. And the rabbi was usually kind of the go-to guy for this. And so he perceives Jesus to be a rabbi teacher, uh, ability to discern. And so he says, Rabbi, he doesn't feel like he's, treated, he's being treated uh, fairly by his brother. And so he says, Brother... I mean, Jesus, tell my brother to divide you know, the inheritance fairly. And Jesus says to him in verse 14, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And I think what Jesus is getting at here is, you know, my role here is not to make you more money. <laughs> my role is to teach you about the kingdom of God. And so what he does is he uses this request 
as a platform to now address not only this brother, but to address the crowd as it relates to money. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, Then he says to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so the first thing Jesus tells us is that we must watch out. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So you need to watch out. And this verb phrase, watch out, is an imperative. It's in the present tense. It's saying this is something you ought to do now, presently in your life. Watch out for this. And the idea here is that you must be able to identify greed. You need to be able to see it and identify it, define it. And so, let me try to define greed for you. First of all, I want to tell you what greed is not. Okay, Greed is not necessarily making money. Your greed is not necessarily having a very profitable business. Your greed is not necessarily saving money or investing money. Or even leaving your children an inheritance. That isn't necessarily greed. Now greed can be present in the pursuit of those things. But those types of endeavors are not necessarily fueled by greed. The Bible actually speaks to the fact that we should provide for our family. uh, And even leave an inheritance to our children is a good thing. The Bible speaks to that. And so those things are not evil in themselves... However, the pursuit of those things can be fueled by greed. And so what is, what is greed? Greed is allowing money to become an idol. And we all know an idol is uh, what you perceive as your God. And the way you know it's your God, even though you may not call it your God, it's what drives you. It's what you worship. It's what you sacrifice for. It's your focus. So greed is this excessive desire to accumulate money and possessions. It becomes the focus of your life. It's it's what you're seeking first. It's what you're seeking first. It's what's driving you. And so Jesus says the first thing you need to do is you need to watch out. You need to be able to define greed, what it is. Okay, You need to define it for what it is. And the second thing Jesus tells us, if we're going to avoid greed, then we not only need to watch out, define it, but we also need to be able to be on our guard against it. And what this means is this verb phrase here is uh, in the present tense. It's an imperative. It's something we ought to do. But it's in the middle voice, which means we need to do this to ourselves. We need to guard ourselves. In other words, we need to be able to see it in ourselves. Not in just some abstract concept or what other people deal with, but we need to be able to see how greed gets a foothold in our own life. You know, and Carnegie was able to do that in that letter. He saw greed for what it is. He saw how it was affecting him. His problem was he he didn't take that next step, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here he says, you need to be on your guard in verse 15. Be on your guard or beware of greed. How it manifests itself in you. I wonder if you could remember the first time greed began to stir in your own heart. 
I can remember for me, it was about sixth grade. My family lived in a two-bedroom, one-bath house that sits currently behind the North Augusta Belks. And it was a very small house, um, but I didn't think much of it, you know. I was fifth, sixth grade. And I remember walking to my house one day with a friend. I invited him over to my house. His name was Drew. I invited Drew to my house, and um, we were walking up the street. And as we are walking into my yard, he looks at me and he says, Is this your house? And I thought, hmm. I just had never realized that people view you differently depending on what your house looks like. And later it would be what shoes you're wearing, or the clothing you're wearing, or the car you're driving, or the job you possess, or the college you go to. And so then I, I began to deal with this issue in my own heart. I began to see it sprout up because I was thinking to myself, what, what, what is he saying here? And this, his comments were stirring this you know, sin in my heart saying, well, then I must have this or that if people are going to think that I'm significant or valuable or somebody. That's greed. It's saying that I am not valuable, I am not significant unless I have this or this much of this or more of this than that guy. Right? That's greed. It's saying I must have this. My identity is tied to possessions. That's greed. And that's when in my own life, that's when it began to stir. And I wonder for you, you know, is your significance tied to the car you drive, the house you live in, uh, your bank account, how much you have in your 401k or your IRA, uh, what clothes you wear, what shoes you wear? Is it tied to a possession or the accumulating of possessions? If so, then most likely you are being driven by greed. And what we got to see in this passage that Jesus shares with us in Luke 12 is that if we're going to kill the monster of greed, not only do we need to identify it, and not only do we need to see how it begins to stir in our own hearts, but we need to believe one truth. And he shares that truth with us in verse 15. Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So if you believe that truth, greed will will lose its strength. But if you believe life comes with the abundance of possessions, greed will grow stronger in your life and demand more and he'll, he'll never be satisfied. But if you believe this truth that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, greed will begin to lose its power. And you will begin to experience life the way God intended you to experience it. And to make this point further, Jesus tells this parable. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus says that the land of a rich man produced much. So the man was already rich before his land produced much. He had everything he needed. His bills were paid. You know, he had some money in the bank. Uh, his, his wants were even being met. And then he just had a large crop come in. Uh, his land produced plentifully. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not where the train goes off the track. He asked himself the question, verse 17, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And once he asks that question, greed gives him an answer. Here's what you do. You know your small barns? You tear those down. Build bigger barns. Store your stuff in there. And then you just take it easy. And the man thinks, well, that's a great idea. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I will, I will tear down those barns, build bigger barns, put my crop in there. And I'm just, I'm just relaxing, taking it easy. I got it made. See, the man never thinks, I wonder how I can use this excess for the good of those around me. Never enters his mind. That's because greed is on the throne. See, when greed's on the throne, you're not concerned about other people. You're concerned about you. That's greed. When greed is your God, it's all about you. And this man never thinks, well, maybe I could keep my smaller barns that are stockpiled full of riches already and maybe look out for those around me. How can I help those around me? Never enters his mind. And then Jesus says that God speaks to the rich man in verse 20, and God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus is just making the point here, you have accumulated and accumulated and accumulated, but what will that do for you when you die? What power will money have once you die? How will it help you in eternity? You know, it said that Elizabeth I said these last words. All of my riches for a moment in time. Or the skeptic Voltaire told the physician, I'll give you half of my riches for six more months. See, money can't buy time. And when your time is up, like Jesus is saying here, when you die, money has no power. It can't do anything for you beyond the grave. And so God calls this man a fool because he thinks by his riches, his life is secure. And he simply says, well, when you go to meet the Lord, what good is that going to do you? And then he says, This is how it will be for those who have stored up things for themselves, 
but is not rich toward God. And notice here, being rich isn't the problem. What the problem is, is who am I rich toward? You know, am I rich according to men or am I rich according to God? Which begs the question, how do we become rich toward God? In God's economy, this is the way I like to think about it. I try to think about it as simply as I can so I can understand it. In God's economy, the only currency He accepts is Jesus Christ. In God's economy, the only currency He accepts is Jesus Christ. And so if I want to be rich toward God, I need to be found in Christ. Because that's the only currency of heaven. Christ. And so I need to be found in Christ. Listen to uh, this, this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Paul is writing the church in Corinth and he's telling them to give money to help the church in Jerusalem because they're experiencing a famine. And this is what he says to them. He doesn't just say to them, hey, you need to give money because you should do it because you have plenty because they didn't have plenty. But he says this. He says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they did know that because they had placed their faith in Christ, they received the riches of God, His love, His grace, His forgiveness, eternal life that comes through Christ. They received the riches of God. And so he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. So clearly He's not talking just about money. He's talking about something more significant. Richness toward God the Father. Experiencing and and possessing the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the eternal life that the Father gives. Jesus had all of that. And we did not. We were impoverished towards God. And what Paul's saying is, Jesus became impoverished. He took on our poverty so that we can partake in His richness. In the riches of God. And so the way we become rich towards God is that we experience the life that God gives us through Jesus. And he says to the brother asking for mediation, he says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then over in John 17, this is what Jesus says life consists in. In John 17, in Jesus' prayer to the Father, in verse 3, He says this, And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is what life consists in, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. That is life. That is what life consists in. Do you have life? Another way to put that question is, do you have Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you turned your life over to Christ? Because it's only through Christ that you can be rich toward God. And this is the result of that. Those of you who are in Christ, this is what happens. When when greed is taken off the throne of your life, and Christ is placed there, and you experience the riches of God in your life, forgiveness, grace, truth, mercy, eternal life, when you begin to experience that, greed is off the throne, and therefore, you relate to money differently. Right? Because greed is not on the throne, demanding satisfaction, 
demanding the accumulation of wealth, and therefore money no longer is your God, it becomes a resource, a tool. And this is what happens. When Christ is your life, if your significance is tied to Christ, if your identity is tied to Christ, and and who He is and what He's done for you, this is what happens in your life. You become a more generous person. You see how that happens? See, if money's your God, you will not be generous. Because why would I give away that which makes me significant? (laughs) You won't do it. At least not sacrificially. You won't do it. But when Christ is your life, then you begin to hold what you have with an open hand. And you begin to think, unlike the rich man, you begin to think, how can I use what I have for the good of others and not just myself? That's what happens. That's what happens when Christ is your life. And here's another thing that happens. You may say, well, Ron, I don't really have a lot. Well, even if you have a little, you will become more generous with what you have if Christ is your life. Secondly, you will become less anxious about money. Because you may think only those who have a lot of money are the greedy ones, but that's not true. That's not true. Just because you don't possess it as far as money doesn't mean that you can't be greedy after it. And I think one of the ways that we can see greed manifest itself in our own lives is the amount of anxiety we experience when we don't have as much money as we think we need to have. So on the one hand, yes, it is about building more barns and just hoarding it for yourself. That's greed. But another way we experience greed or it manifests itself in our lives is the anxiety we sense when the amount of money that we want is not there. And so when Christ is our life, it makes us more generous and it makes us less anxious. Because money's not our idol. It's not our God. We don't have to please money. We don't have to have certain things to know that we're significant, we're forgiven, we have eternal life. And see, with Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie did a great job at watching out for greed. He identified it. He was even aware of it and how it impacted his own heart. But he could not dethrone it. He could not dethrone it. Because to dethrone it, you must believe that one truth. And that is, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life consists in knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And so where are you this morning with money, with possessions? Is it mastering you? Are you experiencing great anxiety Due to money, doing, due to possessions, is it causing you anxiety? You know, if you're going to kick greed off the throne, you need to identify it, you need to see how it manifests itself in you, and then you need to believe that one truth, that life is only found in Jesus Christ. And the result will be, you, have, you will be a more generous person. You will experience less anxiety as it relates to money. And more importantly, you will be becoming who God wants you to be. Let's pray together. God, we trust you that that is uh, what you're doing in our lives, that you are dethroning sin, that you are dethroning 
pride, you're dethroning lust, you're dethroning greed, and you're just removing these things from priority, and Christ is becoming preeminent. Lord, that is our hope, that is our prayer, that's what we want to see in our lives. We want to be the people you want us to be. We want to experience your grace and truth and forgiveness and love. Lord, we want to help those around us become the people you want them to be. We want to be givers, not just takers. Lord, we want to experience the peace that only comes in Christ instead of the uh, restlessness that comes with making God our money. Lord, help us to believe these truths that You have shared with us in Luke 12. Help us to watch out for greed, be aware of it, and believe that life consists in knowing You. And we ask that You would continue to remove these idols from our lives by the power of Your Spirit, that we would believe more and more Your Gospel and what You've done for us in Jesus. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.